Welcome to Chitheads from Embodied Philosophy. I'm your host, Jacob Kyle. In each episode of this podcast, I interview a different elder, leader, or teacher from the yoga and wider wisdom community on topics ranging from Eastern philosophy and practices to consciousness studies, social justice, and the human spiritual condition. If you like what you hear, please help us share these teachings with others by leaving us a review on iTunes. And of course, be sure to check out our writings and other educational materials on embodiedphilosophy.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, I wanted to once again share our newest resource, the Masterclass Collection, which is a digital wisdom library of over 22 talks on Buddhism, the Yoga Sutras, and the Bhagavad Gita, featuring scholars, celebrated yoga teachers, and devotional leaders. To browse the collection, just go to fivetattvas.com, F-I-V-E-T-A-T-T-V-A-S.com slash masterclass. To receive the 15% discount, especially for our podcast listeners, at checkout, enter the coupon code CHITHEADS15. Each talk is awarded a certain amount of embodied philosophy credits, which count toward our 200-hour wisdom training. You can find more details about that on our website. So let's get into today's interview. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Sally Kempton. Sally is a meditation teacher and teacher of spiritual philosophy. She is the author of two books, Meditation for the Love of It and Awakening Shakti. She spent 20 years as a Swami in a Vedic tradition and was a close disciple of Swami Muktananda. For 10 years, she wrote a wisdom column for Yoga Journal and regularly offers workshops and trainings domestically and internationally. She also has a constant presence on Yoga Glow where you can find her. So hello, Sally. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jacob. It's a pleasure. It's really nice to chat with you. I've really enjoyed reading uh, some of your articles that are on your website. Really beautiful work. Such a wonderful writer you are. And I wanted to start off just by talking about your own personal story and and sort of what led you to um, the work that you do now. Uh, well, like many people, I had a, you know, an, a, I would call it a preliminary awakening in my mid-20s. And the experience was of a total opening of the universe to reveal itself as love, which was uh, a very radical experience, as you know, it always is. Mm-hmm. And that started me on a path, and it, which eventually led me uh, to pretty much give myself full time to practice. And I became a student of Swami Muktananda, yeah. traveled with him for many years, and then stayed on in the organization. He gave me initiation into sannyasa just before he left his body in 1982. And... Uh, so I stayed, I taught, and ran um, courses and other programs there for years and uh, edited a magazine, etc. cetera. Uh, and then in 2002, I, after really several years of contemplation about it, I, I really came to the conclusion that for me to to continue my practice in what felt to me like a a genuinely realistic, helpful way. I needed to do it without the Swami uniform, mm-hmm. without an organization, and to be in the world like the people I was teaching. So I started teaching independently in 2002, and uh, and it's been like that ever since. So I am very much, you know, to this day, a student of my teacher, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and yet, due to 
my own spiritual education, my own experience, and of course the experience of living in a rapidly changing world. Uh, part of what I've I've sort of committed myself to doing is to making non-dual teachings as applicable, as practical as they can possibly be, because their life-saving teachings have been for me, and I I know for you, and yeah. uh, so so that's I would say that's the that's the you know life purpose that emerged over the course of this time. Mm. Now, and and what's unique about your teachings um, uh, within kind of the 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 school of of Shaivism teachers that are emerging that a, a, a lot of which have been you know influenced by Muktananda in some way is that you really emphasize um, this aspect of uh, Kashmiri Shaivism or maybe not an aspect it's just a way of looking at it um, that you refer to as the divine feminine and so I would love for you to talk a little bit about. Um, what the divine feminine is and and how it relates to this tradition of Kashmiri Shaivism. Okay, beautiful. So in in Kashmir Shaivism and in of course in Tantra in general, that's there's there's this basic understanding that that reality, that the divine reality is is you know binary although although utterly uh, non-dual mm-hmm. that it has it has these these two qualities the quality that we could call awareness or chit and the quality of ananda or love and this kind of awareness love quality in reality is personified in the you know the in the understanding of power of divine power as feminine so Shakti in in the tantric tradition, especially in the Shakta tantric tradition, um, Shakti is understood as both. I, I'm going to use a word that they don't really use in Shaivism, but I, I find it I find that it really describes my inner experience. Shakti is the erotic allurement and dynamism at the heart of life. Mm. So you know, so in terms of uh, of our practical experience, um, and and I say this as a great lover of the divine masculine in the form of Shiva, and you know, a practitioner of pure awareness. But the juice, the love, the power, the dynamism in this universe is Shakti. Is you know, is feminine essentially. Uh, so, and now, and as you know, the the Kashmiri Shaiva Tantra um, has different branches and schools. Yeah. So, so, and I was trained in the in the non-dual Shaiva tradition, in, in which, you know, my guru was a devotee of Shiva in form, as well as uh, as Shiva as you know, pure formless consciousness, and, and he was also a profound exemplar of uh, of the divine feminine in the form of Kundalini, mm. and a worshiper of Shakti, but never in form. In other words, there was really no, in my early years of practice, uh, I had no real exposure to, to uh, Shakti as, as goddess, to Shakti as an object of, of, you know, affection. So there was a moment um, in, in uh, the early 90s, or maybe the late 80s, when I was involved in a, in a celebration on of the Navaratri festival, which is the great goddess festival in India, which um, we used to do as a huge, you know, kind of big spiritual party in front of a giant statue of the goddess Durga. And I was telling a story, uh, you know, it was one of my teaching functions. And as I started telling the story, 
which was the story of Sati and Shiva, the romance of of Shiva and his the, his first wife Sati. Uh, I just was overwhelmed with ecstasy. Mm. It literally felt as though particles of joy were, you know, coming through my crown chakra and expanding my heart and bringing tears to my eyes. And there, that created a complete sort of revol- revolution in my understanding, especially of the physical world. In other words, um, a lot of the, the the way that I and I think many people come to understand the quality of the dynamic Shakti aspect of reality is in nature. So that, you know, that we can actually, be, once our, once our, our eyes have been opened through, through an inner awakening, we can start to recognize the force of life, mm. you know, in, in the, in trees, right? In water, in, in, in looking into the eyes of another person. In other words, this, this powerful dynamic relational energy that that just dances in the physical world so uh i i began to really examine my life experience my emotional experience my uh my meditation experience my embodied experience my experience of my own body mind as with the understanding that i could look upon them as expressions of shakti of goddess mm. and you know and, and that and this is, you know, this was a lot of this happened through a recognition of the affective power of um, of presencing reality as feminine. Mm. You know, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. About two days ago, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's going through a very hard time in his life, and had had a particularly difficult, you know, emotional blow that day. And I said. I said, well, just feel as though you know, every, everything that you're feeling and everything that's coming towards you is arising and subsiding in consciousness. Just feel yourself held in awareness. And he took, you know, listened for a minute, tried it and said, it's not working. I said, okay, okay, okay. Imagine that you're surra- being surrounded and held in the arms of the Divine Mother. Mm. And he said, and he went, oh, okay, that works. And you know, just in terms of a pragmatic experience of affective, you know, love-infused, uh, non-specific devotion, um, using devotion in the larger sense of of a practice that's infused with with love and affection. Uh, it's been my experience that considering reality, considering the body, considering the prana, considering the mind as aspects of a divine feminine power that's manifesting as us and as the world is is a profound doorway into the experience of love infusing your practice mm. and your life. So so I have a kind of pragmatic um I, I I tend to approach sadhana very pragmatically. Uh and you know in other words what what works to you know to to create a sense of freedom Mm-hmm. And pure awareness yeah. that's infused with with affection, with tenderness, with sweetness. So, so that's kind of my. That's how I I got interested in Shakti as my path because I you know I do think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of years later, I began teaching courses in goddesses in the, you know the different Hindu goddesses Lakshmi, Saraswati, Kali. Uh, and and really entering into the 
the idea of these particular forms of universal energy, how, you know, what the, what the energetic feel of Kali is and how it's different from the energetic feel of Lakshmi. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, and it, it really started as a kind of a, I would almost call it, you know, a, a sorting game, a kind of a paradigm game in which, you know, you know, in which given the understanding in, uh, in the in the Shakta Tantras, that everything in this universe is is an aspect of the divine feminine energy. You know that that there are millions of Shaktis, millions of little energies, little goddesses mm-hmm. that are doing everything. I you know I began to to see. Okay, can I feel uh, what it's like when the Lakshmi energy of beauty and auspiciousness and you know sweetness is present in the atmosphere? Can I feel the difference between the love that is part of that field that let's call her Lakshmi and the love that's part of the much more intense energetic field that that I call Kali, you know, and to to recognize that 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 there are these individual vortexes of energy that we call deity that have uh, that, you know, that we can we can discover through mantra that we can discover through visualization of their iconic forms, but that also are energies in us that move through us and that actually have a place in our personality as well as in, uh, you know, as well as in the weather and in the, in the, in the currents of culture mm-hmm. as you know, we are of course Experience. in the midst of one, <laughs> one very intense cultural upheaval with many, many different aspects to it. Okay, uh, Sally, I want to rewind just to, for a second and ask you a question because uh, uh, I want to talk more about this, what you're bringing up re- regarding the deities. But before we move into that, I want to ask you just to kind of clarify, I think, the difference and 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 specifically what this kind of um, approach is offering is uh, two questions. The first one is when you say you, you, you are inviting your friend to presence reality as feminine or you're talking about, you know, this story that was related to presencing reality as feminine, what would be the... What would be the opposite? So, if if this is sort of a new offering, what Great would question. be what would be presencing reality as not feminine or as masculine? Well, I I do think that that the the foundational um, tendency or understanding in Buddhism and in uh, Advaita Vedanta and Shankara Vedanta, in many of the of the non-dual traditions, you know, the, yeah. is that they, is that there is this basic assumption that runs through culture that God is male, right. you know, and of course we understand that God is beyond gender. And obviously when I talk about reality as feminine, I really mean not gendered, but yeah. having a particular qualities that, you know, that having the qualities of love and energy rather than simply peace and stillness and, you know, vastness, uh, so, um, I, I, you know, we are at a moment, of course, we're in a, you know, in a moment where we're in, in the heart of a social and political revo- revolution involving the, you know, the lives and the perspectives of the human feminine. Yeah. Uh, so it has a lot of, I think it has an enormous resonance to, to see reality as goddess. Yeah. Um, but I would say, if if it's okay with you for me to talk in these, you know, sort of nakedly idolatrous terms, please do. <laughs> um, I, you know, I I'm a I really am a you know lover of 
the divine masculine in the form of Shiva and have been for many years. So uh, the the recognition that that what I what I love in the Shiva awareness, you know, which is that vast, you know, aware, um, undifferentiated spaciousness, you know, the the freedom and stillness, that that what that what I loved about it was not just its transcendent qualities, but the pulsing excitement at the heart of it. Mm. Uh, and that's what I came to recognize as goddess, you know. So, uh, you know, in the great tantric statement, um, without Shakti, Shiva is Shava, is is a corpse. Yeah, um, exactly. That, so, so that's what I... That's what I what I relate to when I think of reality as goddess. That's beautiful. Is, yeah. Yeah. So then, my, my second question was um, a, a, a similar kind of question: is when you say that you approach spirituality in a pragmatic way, what would be some examples of of approaching spirituality in a non pragmatic way? You know how how is how is that sort of a, a a unique approach to spiritual practice to to perceive it as pragmatic ultimately? Well, I think that most spiritual processes, and I exclude Tantra from this, okay. um, Tantrikas are, I would say, very, very pragmatic in their approach to spirituality. Yeah. Um, but most spiritual traditions, including the one I was trained in, have a couple of approaches to enlightenment or a couple of approaches to state changing, you know, whatever, whatever you, however you describe it. And they're prescribed pretty much for everyone, even though, you know, in, you know, you might be given your own mantra. But you would not necessarily be be given uh, a quiver full of practices that you might want to use in different circumstances. You know, there's it, so I would say that many spiritual traditions are, in a certain sense, one size fits all. You know, for example, I have many friends who teach classical. You know, I would call it neo advaita, uh, and 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 teach a practice which I also teach and which I love, you know, where you, you know, you tune into the awareness of your, of the sensations in your body and the sounds and, uh, and the thoughts and the breath. And you, you know, you kind of cycle through awareness of, uh, inner and outer objects, and then you tune into the awareness that holds them all. You know, that's a beautiful practice, Mm. um, and very appropriate in certain conditions, but, what what I've discovered is that in different states and in different situations, uh, it's very important to find a practice, a way of holding yourself, a way of understanding reality that really works in that moment. Mm. And you know, so and of course, in the upayas of Shaivism, uh, which is I think a great system for understanding why practice might be different. You know, and and I know you're very familiar with the upayas that. When you're feeling very, very separate, you know, very much in your individual dualistic understanding, indeed, even emotionally upset, you you would do exactly what my friend did and try to find something that would make you feel better in that moment. Right. Yeah. You know, or or find or find a way to use the use the moment to enhance your sense of you know interiority of everything's happening inside one one great heart. That might be the skillful practice or the skillful practice might be to, you know, to sit and do some pranayama and asana and, you know, just kind of get your pranas 
functioning or the skillful practice might be substituting a positive thought for a negative thought. But that's what I mean by pragmatic. You know, you, you ha- you, um, you're experimental in your practice mm. and you notice what, uh, what, what tends to expand your awareness, you know, make you, make you more focused when you need it and more relaxed when you need that. Um, what keeps you feeling the divine nature of your own being and, Etc. So, and it's never one size fits all. Right, and there seems to be like an openness at the very heart of it because you're not just yeah. you're not just doing a practice that's sort of been handed down to you in a sort of dogmatic way. This is one size fits all. I'm going to do this, you know, and only this. But rather having kind of an open ended experimental approach to the practice that takes into consideration, you know, maybe the shifting nature of our embodiment even. Like some uh, sometimes yeah. we're going to need different practices given where we are where we're at. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so that's what I mean by pragmatic. It's one of the reasons I love the tantras, mm. you know, because it's it offers such uh, such scope for for creatively working with your own with your own mind and your own body and your own prana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, it is an tantra is an advanced practice. I mean. Yeah. I came to this after, I would say, yeah, after around almost 20 years of practice, you know, and, which was mostly mantra practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I would say, you, ha- in a certain sense, you kind of have to earn the right to experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you take 20 years. Yeah, but you're, you're onto something there. When I, I think that, you know, these practices are really the esoteric heart of the whole tradition. And, and, and it's, you know, for some people it's, you know, it's, it's a lot. And, and so they, there has to be certain, I think for me, I, I don't think I would have been ready for these teachings when I first started my own personal practice. And, and so, um, uh, but but moving back to now deity yoga, I wanted to um, actually I want to ask you something about uh, you know when we, when we bring up the notion of the divine feminine and and I sort of understand what you're saying is there it, it's not that you, it's the divine feminine instead of the divine masculine. There's almost like um, uh, um, um, a mission to kind of extract something that's been a little bit repressed in a certain kind of way is am i right to to yes to get catch that because yes. especially when you mentioned that you know the form of the shakti has not been so much um present you know we have lots of forms of shiva but the forms of the shakti you know when they are considered they're usually considered just as kind of consorts to the male exactly. deities and yeah. not really considered in their own um uh, i don't know vibratory power or essence so then um you know have have you encountered any resistance to this um to approaching the divine feminine in this way i mean uh, i i hate to say like sexist responses but or or thinking oh that's 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 perfectly fine for for females but for um, for women women. (laughs) and how do you respond to that when you encounter that kind of resistance well that's an interesting question because the most uh, the most resistance that i receive for this viewpoint is from the you know the so-called non-dual community right um you know the students the students of adya and uh you know Rupert Spira both of whom are teachers I love and admire so this is not in any way a critique of them uh but but there's a there's an idea in in you know especially in my neighborhood in the bay area uh 
where you you know pretty much can't shake a stick without running into a non-dual practitioner or someone who regards themselves as a, as a Ramana Maharshi style non-dual practitioner. Um, so th- they get very insulted at the idea that there is masculine and feminine, that there are masculine and feminine currents in, in a non-dual reality. In other words, um, they can't accept the, the, the tantric secret that, uh, that even in the non-dual there's movement. Yeah. You know, it's and and I think honestly, uh, I, I think that that's a um, it's a paradigm issue, you know, that so and I and I would say it's has not been my experience with with people who really have incarnated, you know, who really embody uh, the, the non dual enlightenment, the classical Ramana Maharshi style non dual enlightenment. Uh, they get it as Ramana did. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ramana was a great lover. Um, so, yes, to that. Uh, secondly, I, most of my workshops and most of my programs are uh, most of my students are women, mm. and most of the men who study with me are you know they tend to be men who um, who are obviously open to the idea of the divine feminine. Uh, often, you know, in trying to find their own relationships to the feminine inside themselves. Uh, so, so I don't get that kind of pushback in programs where people have signed up to right. study with me. Right. Um, I, I would say that the main pushback that I get and that I think anybody who, who, who works in the field of non-dual awareness and also in, in the field of deity practice uh, is is a resistance to the idea of deity or a personal you know personal divinity yeah. uh, you know or as Ken Wilber says the second second person spirit mm. that there's you know it's we're all kind of postmodern and post religious most yeah. of us so so and deity just sounds so religious yes. and um, and also Hindu which um, is not the most fashionable spiritual path in, in so the this, West. So this is so fascinating. This is what I, I really love this topic. And so I, let's go into that then. So so what you're what you're offering, it seems to me, is that the that maybe this kind of understanding of deity uh, and, and sort of looking at deity in the terms of our own, our own kind of religious baggage is problematic. Right. So what is the uh, what is the more radical way or the alternative way of understanding deity that kind of surpasses or transcends this um, these religious samskaras? Okay, beautiful question. So I would take it in stages. So at one level, at the level of practice. That deity yoga, as it's practiced, for instance, in Tibetan Buddhism, which, as I'm sure you know, they have a very sophisticated tantric deity practice, mm-hmm. um, probably the one most familiar to Westerners, uh, that the, the idea is that you take on a deity, you take on a, a personal deity as you would take on a mantra, mm-hmm. often for a particular period in your life, you know, maybe not permanently. But, and, and your practice is to is it's and I, I do think this is the essence of tantra. You you bring the deity into your meditation for several purposes. One because because as human beings, personal connection, love and devotion. You know, it's very you know as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, it's very hard for someone who's a who loves the unmanifest to actually experience devotion. So. 
So a deity is like a focal point for your feelings of personal affection and everything that goes with it, uh, including, you know, feeling that there's, there's, I, I call it the uh, invisible friend mm-hmm. uh, kind of deity practice. Um, but, but more important is that when you meditate on a divine form and bring it into your body and bring it into your awareness, it literally cooks your awareness mm-hmm. and it, and it begins to allow you to embody the qualities of that particular deity energy. And I do think that it, that's what makes deity practice so skillful. It, it literally, uh, purifies your inner field and, uh, you know, and divinizes your subtle body in very, very powerful ways. So just as a pragmatic practice, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very significant for many people. Um, now in terms of metaphysics, at least my understanding of the, you know, of the way that the tantric Buddhists, as well as Hindus, as well as Taoists, and well, in fact, as, as, you know, not unlike some of the teachings in, in uh, Christian and Jewish metaphysics is that there are very much levels of subtle reality that we don't see. So, right. So, so, and of course in Kashmir Shaivism, there's a, the, the Tatwa teaching um, yeah. actually locates deities in certain Tatwa, in certain uh, Tatwas above mm. Maya and certain Tatwas below Maya. Yeah. And uh, so it, essentially when you, the way I experience it is that when I really tune into a deity energy, when I make when I make that the deity practice a part of my daily meditation practice, that I more and more become aware of the presence of uh, of this kind of energy vortex I call it that's that's in the field, and that along with all the other energy vortexes in the noosphere, mm-hmm. uh, that the 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 energy vortex that's connected to a particular invocational or mantric or visualization of a deity has very distinct qualities and uh, and can actually you know in it, once you have mastered it it the, the the contemplation can actually take you into a much higher tatwa than you are ordinarily experience mm-hmm. um, through that connection. So the deities, so, so the deities, the images of the deities are sort of pragmatic tools to help you cultivate a relationship with what is at heart an energetic quality. Is that essentially it? Yes, and ultimately uh, a doorway into the absolute. Mm-hmm. You know, so so uh, I mean, you can approach deity as you know, for example, as you approach mantra. Yeah, um, you can approach it at whatever level you find yourself in. And if you're, you know, if you're a devotional person who comes out of a religious tradition and you've been schooled, for example, in loving Christ, then there would be a natural affinity for that particular vortex, you know, the Christ consciousness vortex, which is, you know, one of the more powerful, um, uplifting energies in the planet. But, you know, but that Christ energy, if you really give yourself to it, it's going to melt you know, it's going to create a sum of Asia, a melting into the subtler and subtler layers of it. And, and you'll find yourself in, you know, in a state of radical divine communion. Mm. And the goddesses, you know, especially the high, what, you know, what I call the, the, the higher goddesses, the goddesses 
you know, who exist at, at the, who are outside Maya, um, beyond Maya, uh, that they are open doorways into, you know, into the divine Iness, you know, the divine awareness and Shakti, as they say in the tantras, uh, takes you to Shiva. So, you know, through the form, you, you really enter into the formless. Um, but in my experience, in a, in a very, very juicy and bliss focused way. And I'm, I admit freely to being a bliss freak. <laughs> so. That's great. I love that. A bliss freak. Um, so let's go. I would love for you, if you don't mind, to share maybe a deity yoga practice. So maybe pick a particular uh, deity and what would be involved in this kind of um, practice. Does it include the mantra of the deity? Does it include um, um, imagery that you would focus on, visualize? And then my follow-up question after that, I'll just mention it now, is if you already have, if you already, in, I'm, I'm asking this actually for personal reasons, if I, I'm initiated into my own, into a mantra, how do I adopt this kind of a practice without it conflicting with my own, um, uh, with my own kind of mantra practice? Um, that is a really good question. I, I would say it would depend on you know, if you're if you're practicing with a goddess bij mantra, mm-hmm. for instance, um, then you would add the visualization and the invocation to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the other way to practice is to to create a period in your practice, or you know, a period in your day where you you actually experiment and play with goddess energy. So, so let's say. Uh, let's say you want to practice with the goddess Durga, yeah. you know, it's, which many, many women especially like to do because she's very empowering. Uh, so, so what you would do is create, find a form that can be the focal point, which could be a statue or a crystal or, uh, a picture. Um, I, I generally find that if you're, if you're up for it, that the iconographic pictures, uh, are, are you know, if you, you, f- you have to find the right one mm-hmm. um, or a yantra, which for many people is preferable. Yeah. You know, f- for instance, I've been for a few years doing a Lalita Tripura Sundari practice and I with a uh, with a Meru yantra, with a three dimensional yantra, uh, Sri, Sri Chakra yantra. And uh, I've never had an actual, you know, form of her that looks, you know, that that looks like a woman. <laughs> it's been a completely abstract practice. And I practice with her mantra and uh and i and i do it at the beginning of my meditation so that i there's a, i do a little puja and then i spend 15 or 20 minutes practicing with the mantra sometimes chanting doing a you know practicing a chant that invokes her the lalita trishati or the lalita uh, sahasranam and then i and then i meditate in the way i you know the way i'm meditating which would if you're doing a strong mantra practice it would it would mean practicing with your mantra uh and you'd have to experiment with it so with with the focus with the yantra and you said you have a three-dimensional yantra um could you speak a little bit about that practice are you focusing on a particular point in the yantra are you sort of loosely gazing at it like what is that um how do you include that in your practice uh, well, there's, as you probably know, there are many different ways to do it. One, it, you know, there's a very, f- with that particular yantra, and I suspect with others, there's a very formal practice, which includes ritual, where you presence the different the different um, aspects of the yantra. You know, the Sri Chakra has 
a series of triangles in different configurations mm -hmm. uh, inside circles and inside squares and with petals. So you actually, in the traditional practice, you move from the outside to the inside to the heart, and then you meditate on the bindu, the, the point in the middle of it. I, uh, I basically meditate on the bindu, um, and I use it more as a focal point for, for puja than as a meditative focal point. But what I've found is that when you do the puja and uh, connect to the energy of the, of the yantra, which you do over time, mm -hmm. you know, by just, by just having it in your field and gazing at it in different ways, that, that the initial practice of tuning into the yantra will set you in a, in a particular felt sense that in this particular case, in the case of this practice, my inner experience of the goddess Lalita Tripura Sundari is not so much, although it has happened, of, of her, you know, her, her goddess form, her lady form, but more of, of, of a particular light that comes into my subtle body and that I meditate in and, uh, and, you know, a, a, f a felt sense of very blissful vibratory energy. And then, you know, and then eventually what happens is with the mantra, I kind of fall into the, the Madhyanadi, into the central channel. And then it's, then meditation opens up and it's, um, you know, it's it becomes the natural meditation process that you're not orchestrating. That's beautiful. Uh, so, and I think you can do this with any deity, any goddess, um, fem feminine or masculine, any form. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Um, there, there's so much there we could go into, but I want to. So, I'm being trying to be economical with time. So, let's. Um, I want to talk a little bit in, uh, now about. Um, the divine, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, our, our troubling times and, you know, you, the, the way that you're talking about the, the, the Shakti energies, um, uh, there's, uh, there's a way in which you, you uh, or, or maybe I read it this way, but it, it seemed like you were implying that different periods, um, have a certain quality that reflects a certain deity. So if we were to capture, if we were to describe our, sur our current situation, in, in terms of, of the kind of deity qualities, what would you say is the kind of reigning uh, Shakti at the moment? Well, I would say we're definitely in the Asuric realms. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is like, this is one of those moments when, um, you know, when the, the Asuras have thrown the, the devas out of their heaven realm <laughs> and, uh, and they're just, and they're starting their, you know, Bigfooted takeover. So, and it, you know, tra traditionally, I, I actually think it's kind of a classic situation. Yeah. And, and talk course, about that because I think that's, that's going to be comforting for some people. If it's classic, it's like, okay, so we've been here before. Right. This has happened before. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, it, you know, in, in Indian mythology, which is very much a mythology of, of cycles. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, like Taoism, there's the understanding that, that, that there's, there, the time has cycles, and that the, that you know, light times and dark times more or less interface and often succeed each other. <laughs> and as you know, one of the one of the staples of goddess mythology, especially, but also of Krishna Krishna mythology uh, and Shiva mythology, is that these these incredibly powerful demons gain a kind of a siddhi, a supernatural power that makes them invincible. Mm. And uh, and then they conquer the 
light forces and the light forces are wandering in darkness. Uh, and, and then they, you know, somehow someone points them to the divine and they, you, and usually in the most famous stories, it's, the, it, it, you know, they're pointed towards the goddess Durga who, and this is, I think, a very significant part of what it is to be a lover of Shakti that in these stories, Durga is hidden. You know, she's in the mountains. She Nobody sees her. She's very hard to find. So the the gods have to do make a pilgrimage, and they have to petition and pray, and, uh, and eventually she appears and agrees to, um, to, you know, use the gods' own weapons to defeat the demons. And that cycle has been, as you know, it's been part of Indian mythology and, of course, hero mythology in all cultures. But it, the, the, you know, the essence of the hero's journey and the heroine's journey is that moment when the dark forces seem to have won and the balance in the universe seems to have been destroyed. And then, then we have to know, we have to have the skill both to prepare and to wait for the time because... It's obviously this is not the time, right? This is this is the moment to to hang back and wait. Um, and I was thinking this morning that it, it it's a little bit like if you know the Mahabharata, mm. it's a little bit like that moment when Yudhishthira has lost the dice game to his evil cousin, and the Pandavas are exiled to the forest, and the, you know, and for thirteen years they actually do sadhana, they do practice and collect their strength and, you know, enlist alliances. And then after 13 years, they fight the battle. And that so much of that section of the Mahabharata is about uh, stability and, uh, you know, and learning how to cultivate themselves on a deeper level mm-hmm. and working with their frustration. So um, I do think that it's that kind of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, and that the time will change, and that hopefully, just speaking in political terms, you know, I I'm I'm a veteran of the the, the very similar situation in 1968. So having been through 1968 and and that that moment, you know, the 68, 69, 1970 uh, was a pivotal moment for me because it was really it was really in those years that I started on the spiritual path, that was my reaction to what seemed like a terrible disaster at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, much, it seems like, it seems like I, we'd be almost grateful for Nixon now, but, <laughs> but, 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 um, but for a lot of people in my generation, it was, you know, they interpreted it as a, as a sign that they should, you know, increase uh, revolutionary activity, often violent, revolutionary activity and that was uh that was clearly not an effective tactic and actually created a lot more problems for the progressive movement than than it uh than it helped so so i i just i just hope that i mean i love the the, i love the commitment to activism that we're seeing now i think it's i think it's fantastic and we you know we must we must become activists, but skillful. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like it's. I mean, we're yeah. So it seems I won't like it has to be. Gra- yeah, it has to be grounded in 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 wisdom. It seems. 
it it does it does it, it has to be grounded in wisdom and um and it requires a certain tactical maturity you know yeah. it's not yeah. about emotional uh demonstrations totally even though there is something about letting the letting the world know how you feel about it of that's course. useful yeah 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 but but, but i sorry yeah. go ahead no that's that's all i wanted to say yeah. um the, the other thing that that really uh, I really felt in this in this election season, because I, I'm a, I'm a great lover of the Spandakarikas, the, the the verses on vibration, which yeah. essentially uh, are about about the, the the way the currents of energy uh, will either liberate us or take us further into bondage, and that you know so much of satna is about recognizing the nature of energy in the field and learning how to work with it yeah. and ride it. And, you know, it became clear at a certain point that the, the spanda in this particular election was off the charts crazy and that, yeah. um, that there was no way of working with it oppositionally, you know, that it, that it, and that, and that for a practitioner riding it, you know, and riding the emotions into the heart at this point, you know, assuming that, I wish we'd more of us had gotten out and voted, but be that as it may, um, right. But riding those emotions into the heart, uh, you know, is a skillful way of working with very difficult and dark emotions. And when you do that, then your insight about what to do in the, you know, in the physical world becomes, becomes much more empowered and wise and smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so there's yeah. a way. So what I hear you saying is that you know, and I and this is sort of something that I found also in your in one of your um, articles. You talk about terror, lust, anger, and sadness can be ladders to transcendence. So I, what I hear yeah. you saying when you're talking about riding the wave of the spanda of this election into the heart is that that you know, um, contrary to a kind of rejection, you know, people who want to turn off turn it off and, and shut it out in order to ride to the heart. You're saying quite the opposite. It's like face it. And actually, yeah. and actually the, the kind of the horrifying, <laughs> the horribleness of what we're perceiving actually itself can be a, you know, a, a track to the heart. Can you, can you explain a little bit more about what that means or, and, and how that works? Well, I would say that this is the, you know, this is the razor's edge of Tantra. Mm-hmm. It, you know, is, it is this recognition, which is in, it's in two of the, you know, really foundational texts of Kashmir Shaiva Tantra, as I, as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that at the heart of intense emotions and intense situations is a particularly concentrated quality of shakti, which if we can bring our attention away from what's going on, of you know, of the the external manifestations of it, and really tune into the originating force. Uh, that 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 force will uh, actually in that moment make us aware of the truth about ourselves, which is you know an undiluted, unadulterated shakti vibration, love energy, which you know which has an innate creativity that that allows situations to shift and change um, consciously because you've gone to the root. You know you're not at the it's it's like it's like the you know and it's such a fund, foundational principle of all spiritual traditions uh, is that if you if you you know if you go let yourself um, focus on the the goals that the senses have in mind you know you just endlessly 
driven into you know whatever your reactivity may be whether it's you know greed desire anger endlessly acting itself out whereas if you turn into the source of it you discover that the source is really the divine energy that we call spanda shakti the yeah. the vibrating fountain of power and love yeah. and uh and then um so i think the key here is also recognizing that you're not trying to f- fix it you know you're not yeah. trying to get rid of your anger or get rid of your sadness you're you're actually going to the heart of it and finding that truth that at the heart of everything is divine divine energy yeah. uh, so and i think that for many of i mean there are many tantric practices to help you feel better uh you know when you're angry or sad but this is the one this practice asks you to to really have a powerful focused disciplined intent to find the divine heart of even the most negative and difficult feelings yeah. uh and it's it's deeply transformative as as i'm sure you know yeah i mean it's a it's 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 really a very radical and i think it's getting more um airtime so to speak of, of uh, in contrast to the kind of um, maybe trajectory of practice that would deny the utility of these you know quote unquote negative emotions and and what I love about the tantric path and what you're offering is that no it's we can't you know we can't say this is divine and that's not divine everything is sort yeah. of a gateway uh, when it's you know when it's understood with wisdom Yeah, exactly. And uh you know, and it's very it's very radical and it you know, it 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 demands that you work with your own preferences. Yeah. Uh in a you know, in a with a lot of renunciation. So it's not it's not it's not as some people think. It's not a practice for le- letting emotions rip or following every desire. It's really a practice of deep refinement that leads to a deep refinement of emotions and desires. Yeah. But but in a in a way that that uh that doesn't make um that doesn't make good and bad uh kind of um that doesn't ask you to reject yourself and others right. uh, on the grounds of preference mm-hmm. so and it's as you know as you know this is a big conversation that is one always has to have in in discussing these teachings um which is that that it it's not it's it's not about excusing evil yeah right <laughs> yeah it, it's it's about it's really yeah it's a really important point it's cuz it's very hard for for people who you know who who are dedicated to the true the good and the beautiful um to deal with a philosophy that seems to be excusing evil yeah uh but you know it it's it's really about transcending and including evil in a way that allows you to to function you know at your best at your goodest truest and beautifulest uh while having a genuinely non-dual view mm. um it's not i'm a great admirer of joanna macy uh you know who's i think a she's a wonderful example of a buddhist activist who has a strongly non-dual view and yet has you know is completely committed to social action and environmental action and she said something i think quoting another environmentalist she said it's not that we're it's not that we're we're trying to 
you know, it's not that we're working to save the rainforest. It's that the rainforest is working through us to save itself. Mm. I love Isn't that. that beautiful? That's yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And and I I that understanding just changes the whole frame. Mm. Yeah, it really does. Wow. wow. You know, that's such a I feel like we're just getting started, but I feel like that's a beautiful note to end on, even though I would love to talk to you for another hour. Um, so we'll have to do this again. I'll have to have you back to talk more because I, I have like five more questions I wanted to get to. Um, but this has been a really beautiful conversation. Sally, thank you so much for chatting with me. My pleasure. And, Jacob. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. I'm glad you had fun. Me too. I, I want to give you an opportunity now just to um, maybe share a little bit of any projects that are coming up, um, your website where people can find you, any workshops that you might be having, anything like that. Yes. Uh, my website is sallykempton.com and it's a, it's got a lot of articles and my schedule and a lot of else interviews, etc. Um I teach a lot on teleconferences, and I'm starting a new teleconference on the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which is called The Surrendered Life, and it's a, it's a non-dual uh, examination of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, starts on January 10th and runs for six weeks with uh, with a lot of with lectures, a lot of audio meditations, um, you know, group work, etc. It's a pretty full program that you can do at home in your jammies. Um, very nice what else I'm teaching a workshop at uh, at Esalen on the Vignana Bhairava in early March amazing and uh, I teach I'll be teaching a five day at Kripalu and a weekend at Kripalu in August and I just decided to to teach a meditation teacher training at and we're going to have it at the first one at Mount Madonna on um, the, the four or five days between May 28th and June 2nd. Mm. So, so lots and of great I'm, things coming up. Lots of stuff, yeah. And uh, I, I also, those of you who are interested in deity practice and goddess practice might be interested in Awakening Shakti, which is published by uh, Sounds True and is available at Sounds True and on Amazon. Uh, and my meditation book, which is called Meditation for the Love of It, that is kind of the unpacking of the approach to meditation that we were talking about earlier and how you apply it. Beautiful. Okay, wonderful. I'm going to put all of those wonderful things in the show notes and uh, so people can get in touch with you and maybe go to and attend one of these events. So thank you so much, Sally. It's been such a pleasure. Um, have a wonderful rest of your day and, uh, and I'll speak to you soon. Fabulous. Thank you, Jacob. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, friends. That was Sally Kempton. I hope you enjoyed that interview. To find out more about Sally and her teachings, check out Sally.